Well, good morning and welcome, and we want to welcome our friends over at Spanish Trail Campus for the congregation that's gathered there, as well as the, uh, the group that has gathered online uh, through our live stream. So welcome to worship this morning. Um, I must have done pretty good on guitar last week because they moved me over to preacher for this week. So uh, Pastor Jim and Pastor Brian and Pastor Brad are all over in Europe uh, this, uh, this morning and this week visiting with several of our missionaries as they make their way around Europe to plan uh, and make, um, work out the logistics for the trips that are for you uh, coming up the rest of this year. We had a few informational meetings last Wednesday uh, to talk about some of those trips. We'll have a few more of those meetings this Wednesday here at the Nine Mile Campus, and we'd love for you to join in on that. If you can't make the meeting, uh, just call into the church office. Find out where we're going this year so that you can be a part of Global Missions. Regardless of the particular destination that we may be headed to in the world, you should know by now that the emphasis for 2019 at Hillcrest is to create a culture of disciples making disciples. Pastor Jim's laid a great foundation and the groundwork for this four-week series we call the Master Plan of Disciples Making Disciples. We've covered the Great Commission, which is every church's mission to go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 says, go therefore and make disciples. It's pretty straightforward, and we now understand from Pastor Jim's teaching that this is not a suggestion, but a commandment. And now we have to decide what we're gonna do with it. I haven't run into many Christians who would disagree that disciple-making is something we ought to do. The problem is I haven't run into enough Christians who are actually doing it. And part of the reason for that may be our fault as the church, because our job is to equip you for exactly this kind of work. So today, I am going to attempt to single-handedly end that problem. <laughs> Tall order. Over 20 years ago, when Nadine and I were preparing to go to seminary, uh, we were trying to make everything we owned last. We thought it was the last vacation we would ever take in our lives. We thought it was the last car we would ever own in our lives. And I was on my way to my job just a few months before uh, heading off to seminary. And things were happening to my car, crazy things. You know, the radio would come on and off. The windshield wipers would start all of a sudden, and then they would shut off. Um, and I was a little nervous about that. Well, I got to work, and I talked to a few of my buddies. And they said, oh, Doug, no worries. It's, it's just your alternator. I said, oh, that's great. I called Nadine. I said, Hannah, uh, we've got a little problem with the car, but it ain't no problem. It's just the alternator. And so I went through work. No problem. Didn't give it another thought. Started heading home that night. It was raining. Now I needed those windshield wipers. It was dark. I needed my headlights. Windshield wipers would work sometimes and not others. The lights would come on and off whenever they wanted, the radio on and off, and pretty soon now the engine started sputtering. It wasn't working well, and so I was on kind of a busy road, and so I limped it off to the Taco Bell parking lot where it finally died. And I went in search of a payphone. You may need to Google that. So I called my wife, and, and I said, Nadine, uh, you know, I couldn't make it home. The car finally failed. But listen, it's no problem. It's just the alternator. And uh, if you'll come and pick me up tomorrow morning, I'll run up here. I'll swap out that alternator. It'll be no problem. 
And so she loaded up the three kids and came, got, got, it, got me in the family van, and we went home and had a nice dinner, fun with the kids that night. I slept like a baby, not a worry in my mind. Woke up the next morning feeling good, pancakes, it was great. We loaded up the kids, sun shining, put my toolbox in the van, we headed up to the Taco Bell. We got in the parking lot, pulled up next to my Hyundai Excel. Cracked open that side door on the van and my kids were sitting there next to each other on that step going to watch Daddy swap out an alternator. And I popped the hood on that Hyundai, lifted it up, looked inside, and it was at that very moment I had no idea what an alternator was. (laughs) It hadn't even occurred to me prior to that. I wasn't equipped. I knew in theory what the problem was. I knew the terms, I understood the words, I knew the general area in which to look, but I sure didn't know how to execute. And I think many of us find ourselves in that same situation when it comes to discipling. We know the terms, we get the idea, but when it comes right down to it, what do we do? Well, the first thing you have to determine is whether or not You're a disciple. Do you believe in Christ? Have you trusted him for your salvation? And are you working at trusting him with everything else in your life? And if you're going to trust him with everything, you're going to want to keep some pretty close tabs on this guy and know who he is. You're going to want to follow Christ. A disciple is not someone who merely claims to follow Jesus. They really do. The following part is so important that Jesus includes following as one of the attributes of a follower. Look at uh, Luke 9.23. It's there in your notes. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You could read that as, if you're going to follow me, then follow me. It seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? But Jesus knew it was important enough to remind us. So if you're really following, you're going to learn what he's all about. You're going to learn his ways. So for our purposes, and considering what the Bible has to say about disciples throughout the book, we've arrived at this definition. A disciple is a believer in Christ who follows him learns his ways, and leads others to live biblically. And today, we're going to focus on that execution part, the part on leading others to live biblically, which is really what the Great Commission is. When I was learning how to play the piano as as an adult, I had a friend that was really good at it. And so I used him to bounce questions off of and so forth. And uh, I was asking him once, what do, you, what do you do with that pedal underneath the piano? How do you know, like, how to use it, when to use it? And his uh, great wisdom to me was, you'll just know. Now, that wasn't super helpful, but how about it if that's not exactly how it worked? After a while, I just knew. And sometimes you just have to get in there and start pushing the pedal to see what happens. Jump in. Follow Christ. Really follow Christ. 
And the results will be that you'll learn his ways. And when you learn his ways, help others to do the same. If you feel stuck and you just don't know, don't think that you're learning his ways, you may want to consider how you're following him. So one great way to get help in following Jesus is to be discipled by someone. Regardless of where you are in your discipleship journey, you're either on one side or the other of this discipling relationship. Sometimes you're being discipled by someone. You're looking up to someone who's a little further along the journey than you are, and they're helping you along. And sometimes you're doing that for someone else. You're discipling someone else. And sometimes we're in both of those relationships at once. And you know what? I think that maybe is the best and ideal situation. Now, there's some who are very early in their journey and legitimately may just not be ready to disciple someone else. But too many of us have used that excuse for 20 or 30 years. So one of the best ways for you to grow is to go and help someone else grow. Ask any connect group or focus group leader in the room today. These folks prepare this much information to deliver this much information on Sunday mornings. Teacher always wins. Teachers always win. It's super difficult not to grow when you're leading someone else. So help someone else live biblically. What exactly does that mean? Well, there was a TV show last year called Living Biblically, uh, where a guy was trying to follow the Bible very literally, as literally as possible. It was uh, based on a true story. A guy actually did that, wrote a book about it, so they made a TV show about it. And it was a comedy because, well, it was funny and not very doable. And that's not exactly what we're talking about here. Living biblically is coming under the authority of God's word, knowing that the scriptures are sufficient to teach us how to live as he intended. It's considering what the Bible has to say when making daily decisions. It's responding to one another in a godly way because that's what God tells us to do. We could also call that having a biblical worldview. And I've got that in your notes In other words, to have a biblical worldview is to make decisions grounded in biblical principles based on what we can understand of God and his character, ourselves and our purpose, our sin and the solution, and truth as God has revealed that to us in his word. And I printed that in your sermon notes because it's a lot. There's a lot to chew on there, okay? So I want you to refer to that over and over again. You can hang that on your fridge or put it in your Bible, whichever one you open the most. (laughs) If you have a biblical worldview, you're already discipling people. And I know that because you can't have a biblical worldview and not disciple someone. One way to develop your biblical worldview is to be discipled or to disciple someone else. And when you make the decision to be obedient to the Great Commission, the first question you want to nail down is, who 
should I disciple? Who should I disciple? So let me give you some things to look for in your disciple. There's only so much time in our week, right? We really need to carefully consider who would be the best kind of person for us to invest our lives with, right? So the first thing you want to look for in the person you're going to disciple is that they should be a Christian. There's really no point in discipling someone who is not a Christian. With the Bible as our primary teaching tool, it's not going to make sense to the non-Christian. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they're spiritually discerned. And so it's going to be folly to them. They're not going to understand that. Now, don't get me wrong. Evangelize your non-Christian friends, but there's no point in discipling them. It's going to be kind of like just bouncing off, right? It's going to be a waste of your discipling time budget. So look for a Christian. Second, family member. Family member. We have a special responsibility to those that live in our home. It's our primary ministry. If you have children, start there. It doesn't make sense to invest outside your home if you don't have the home front covered already. Don't neglect your children to disciple someone outside your home. And discipling your kids is a great place to learn how to disciple as well. Third, church member. Church member. It's best to find someone right here at your church to disciple. And that's true for a few reasons. Uh, First, if they're a member of Hillcrest, we already know some things about them. We know that they're a believer in Christ. We know that they've been baptized by immersion. We know that they believe in certain fundamental beliefs that we believe in because they've gone through a membership class called Discovery Hillcrest. So we know those things about that person. Second, as church members, we are accountable to one another. And we're responsible for each other. You could disciple your Christian coworker, but wouldn't it be better for him to be discipled by someone from his church or her church? They're accountable to that body, not to our body. So just like in individual families, we're more responsible for our own kids than someone else's kids, right? Same idea in church. Make sense? And third, we have the oversight of our church leaders who, whose job it is to lead and to protect the flock. So if it's a church member, where in the church are you going to find this person? Well, a connect group is a great place to start. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be odd if we just said, okay, uh, everybody stand up and find, you, find a disciple? It would be kind of weird, right? Because there's no real relationship necessarily with everybody in this room. But when you put people in a smaller group, in the context of a connect group, for example, you're going to know that person a little bit better. You're going to see how they react and interact with the lesson and the other people in their class. Uh, You may even have done some things socially with some of those folks to get to know them a a little bit better. So if not in your connect group, then maybe in a focus group that you've attended or one that you may begin to attend uh, this coming week. And you can check out your worship folder insert for all the offerings this semester. So these are, uh, this is a smaller group 
where you have an opportunity to interact with people. God will provide this person for you. Whether that's your disciple or your discipler, he's going to provide because this is the master plan. If you're open and available and you put yourself out there, God will provide your person. It's his plan. He's going to do his part. Get in a small group environment if you're not already. Number four, same gender. No need to get in trouble by taking on a disciple from the opposite gender outside your immediate family. Need I say more? There are plenty of opportunities for men and women to interact in small group uh, setting, but there's no need to invite danger uh, in a one-on-one relationship under the guise of discipling. That's just wisdom. Number five, teachable. Teachable. Have you ever heard this phrase? You can't tell them nothing. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Grammar aside, don't be that person. And don't choose that person as your disciple. You're on a limited time budget. Mark Dever, who's a pastor in the Washington, D.C. area and author of this book, Discipling, uh, he says, teach the teachable and try to be teachable yourself. That's a great word. And by the way, this little book right here, very skinny, good book, best resource that I can recommend to you on discipling. And I would recommend that you pick up a copy of this and check it out. I'll be leading a class uh, through this book uh, starting this Wednesday. I'll be doing it twice, once starting this Wednesday and then once starting again on February 27th. It's just three weeks long. And we'll walk through this book together. Great resource. Number six, faithfulness to teach others. Faithfulness to teach others. And this is a critical part of the master plan. You want to find a person who is willing to pay it forward. Your disciples should eventually go get some disciples of their own. And this needs to be a part of the discussion from the very beginning. You need to be building this into your disciple right from the start. Now, most people won't feel qualified to disciple someone. And it seems like the humble thing to say, doesn't it? That that you're just not ready. Well, as a discipler, you make them ready. That's part of the job of discipling, is to make that person ready to go and disciple someone else. That's discipleship. Dustin Scott, our pastor to students, posted a quote yesterday from the Southern Baptist Convention President J.D. Greer. Uh, yesterday. It applies directly to our discussion today. He says, when we question our ability to accomplish what God called us to do, we may feel like we are just being realistic about our limitations. In reality, we are insulting the God who called us. Number seven, be practical. Be practical when you choose your person. Make sure your schedules match up. If you can't ever meet, it's gonna put a wrinkle in your discipleship plan, right? So don't make this harder than it needs to be by choosing someone who you can never track down. That's a little bit about the who. Who should I disciple? And when you're thinking about the who, you might be thinking about a few who's. We call that a tiny group. 
So there's an individual opportunity, one-on-one, that you can disciple somebody. And there's a tiny group kind of option where maybe you meet with three people at the same time. And we see that modeled in Scripture. Uh, Jesus had a crowd that followed him. We might call that the church. And then he whittled things down to a smaller group, a special uh, group of 12 men who would become the apostles. We might call that the connect group. Then he had a tiny group, three guys, Peter, James, and John. But we also see where Jesus invested in individuals throughout his ministry. And so we see all of that modeled in Scripture. And either one is okay. It really just depends at the pace you want to go, and it depends what you're most comfortable with. There's advantages and disadvantages to both kinds of meetings. Okay, so you have your person or persons. Next, you need to have a goal. Have a goal. We all have a common goal in our discipling, and that is becoming like Christ. That's a huge part of our mission statement here at Hillcrest. Hillcrest exists to help people in becoming like Christ, by worshiping God, connecting with others, and serving the world. And so that's a common goal. We do that here at Hillcrest from the pulpit. We do that through connect groups and focus groups. And now we're working at creating a culture where people can find that in one-on-one or tiny group discipling opportunities, becoming like Christ. And then you want to have a specific goal, a specific goal. What is it that your disciple needs? Where do they want to work on the most? They want to be a better husband or a better wife, better father, better mother, a better teacher, less angry, more loving. What's the specific thing that your disciple needs? And how are you going to find that out? You're going to have to have some conversations. Just have some conversations. Hang out. Spend some time. What's the end result going to look like? For this relationship, and how will you know when you got there? That's good goal setting to know when you've arrived. And then, third, be accountable to the goal. When things get tough, when you don't want to make the meeting, when you don't want to prepare, when you don't want to do the homework, when you don't want to study up, remember where you're headed. Oh, I'm I'm becoming like Christ. I'm going to be a better dad, a better mom. Remember the goal and press on. I remember when Eric Mitchell, our Connect pastor, first started. Uh, we were talking about this concept of becoming like Christ. And it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to measure, right? How do we measure that? Um, and so, so I'm thinking, if I just dropped a bomb on this guy, you know, there's, there's really no answer to the question. And it was fairly rhetorical. But Eric says, well, I'll tell you what I do. <laughs> okay, great. And it was great what he said. He said, I take a characteristic of Christ, and I work on that for a year. And at the end of the year, I think I'm more like Christ in that area than I was at the starting of the year. Simple. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. may not be easy. But it's simple. So know where you're headed. Know what your goal is. And speaking of knowing the end result, 
of this discipling relationship, you might be wondering, when will this thing end? I'm not sure I want to hook up with this person for the rest of my life. Well, in some ways, it's going to be true. But the relationship is going to change over time. I don't think it's ever going to go away because a proper discipling relationship is going to be great. And it's going to be huge in your life. And you're never going to wonder what that person's name was. I mean, there's always going to be a relationship, but it may change over time. In the beginning, you may meet quite frequently. It might trail off at some, at some point to lesser and lesser. But when your person gets their own person, that relationship now might go to a different kind of deal. You might become sort of the consultant in that arrangement where when they run into a roadblock with their disciple, they may come to you and say, hey, how do I handle this? And so you've always got that kind of relationship with your disciple. But at some point, that intentional discipling needs to come to an end. It needs to. You've got to push them out of the nest for their own good. Always, always work toward your disciple discipling someone else. Otherwise, you might not be discipling. You might just be having some meetings. When Nadine and I were first married, uh, I was a self-employed computer consultant, which meant that I was unemployed a lot of the time. We had a brand new baby, and I think we might have had two mortgages at the time because there was no way you could raise a baby in a townhouse. You had to have a proper home for this child. So, I, you know, this is the way I was thinking as a young man. And so... Uh, I needed to make some money somehow. So I got the classified ads. You may need to Google that too. And I was looking for a job, and I saw this job listing, and boy, it was super exciting. You know, an opportunity to make some money. It was a sales kind of thing, though, and man, am I not a salesperson. But one of the cool things about this job is I didn't have to set any appointments. Somebody else would do that for me. So the cold calling part was someone else's job. All I had to do was go in and give the demo, make the sale. And so I went through the training, they took me. Well, they take everybody. I didn't realize that at the time, but <laughs> they took me. And uh, I got my little kit, and I was selling whole house water softeners. Okay? They'd give me my list of people to go see that day, and I'd go to their house, and I'd give the demo. And the deal was that if you gave three demos and you didn't make a sale, you had to go see the sales manager, find out what's wrong with your pitch, right? So push your disciple to make disciples. You don't want to see the sales manager. So you've got your person. You've got a goal. And now you need some resources to use. So what are you going to use? Well, listen, the first thing is this book right here. The Bible. It has to be your primary resource for discipling. And what are you going to do with the Bible? Well, there's a lot of things you can do with your Bible in a discipling relationship. I'm going to give you a few things that may spur you on to, to uh, identify some other things that might uh, be good for you and for your disciple. But let me share with, with you just a, a couple of things. The first one is you can look at character traits in the Bible, just like I mentioned with Pastor Eric, where he takes on a, an attribute of Christ and works on that for a year, 
you may look at this list of attributes uh, for church leaders. Now, you're going to say, well, that's for church leaders, Doug. That's for elders and for deacons and so forth. But here's the thing. These attributes are good for every Christian. Uh, Titus, chapter 1, start verse 6. An elder must be blameless. That's good for all of us. Blameless is good for all of us. The husband of but one wife. For the purposes of our discussion, we'll throw that one out because that knocks all the ladies out, okay? So just forget that part. But men and women both need to be uh, blameless, right? A man whose children, a man or a woman whose children believe and are uh, not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. That'd be good for all of us who have a family, right? That's, that's why discipling starts at home. Um, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Can you work on any of that? Can your disciple work on any of that? I could work on some of that. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. That's a pretty good list so far. Any, any, anything you can grab a hold of in there? I think so. So right there, just right there. Um, and then uh, just wrapping that up, he must uh, hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others Sounds like discipling by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So we need to know God's word. Another place, very similar in 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 2. Very similar list. Now the overseer must be above reproach. Very similar to blameless, yes? Again, the husband of one wife. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, must manage his own family well and see that his children obey with proper respect. Dropping down to verse 7, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Have you ever encountered somebody out in the business world that you know to be a Christian and they find out that so-and-so goes to your church and and then they say, I had no idea that person was a Christian. See, they should have a good reputation with outsiders. Plenty of things for us to work on right there on character traits right out of the Bible. Okay? So that's a, that's a place you can go right off the bat. The second thing that I want to share with you is what we call the put on, put off. Put on, put off. And we got this idea from Dan Davis. Uh, and they did this as a discipling opportunity in the church that he uh, attended while he was in seminary up in North Carolina. And for that, we can look uh, to Paul for some language that he uses. uh, And we'll start in Colossians chapter 3. And listen to the language here so you get the idea of the put on, put off. Um, Starting in verse 5 there in chapter 3 of Colossians. Put to death, therefore, That that would be putting off. Right? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, 
But now you must rid yourselves, that's putting off, of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you've taken off, put off, the old self with his practices, and have put on, there's the put on, the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Drop down to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. That's putting on. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And we have, um, there's another scripture reference there for you, Ephesians 4. It's very much the same, very much the same kind of language, putting off and putting on. It's also Paul talking to the church there. But we have provided for you on our website, if you go to hillcrestchurch.com, you will see a new resource there for you on the homepage called uh, the Master Plan, Disciples Making Disciples. And there's a click there for you where you can go and, and see uh, all of the resources we have for you. We've got some downloadables. So you can see uh, what this put-on, put-off action plan looks like uh, right on the website. I think we got a little screenshot of it, uh, of some things that you're looking for in this action plan for how you might put off and, and put on. So the way that you would work this with your disciple is to determine what, what do you want to put off? What kind of thing? And it doesn't have to just come from those lists in Colossians or Ephesians. It can come from anywhere in the Bible or a biblical principle. So what is it that you want to put off? Uh, And the scriptures are are listed there for you. What do you want to put on? What do you want to take on? What do you want to build up in your life? And then what scriptures are you going to base that focus on? How can your brothers and sisters pray for you? How can your disciple pray for you? How are you going to study? What books of the Bible maybe? Or what uh, extra resources, extra biblical resources could be helpful to you? And then what actions are you going to take? What actions are you going to take to to gain victory over these things? And then to create some accountability questions uh, so that your discipler can ask you these questions. We've also provided on the website an example of this fleshed out for a particular put on and put off. Okay, so it gives you, it shows you a full-fledged version of this all spelled out. And that's on the website. Great, great resource for the put on, put off. That's using just your Bible. Another way that you can go after this relationship is by using a competencies model. A competencies model. And the way that this works is um, we've got, uh, also on the website, three different types of competencies that you can pursue. Um, One is uh, the core values. I'm sorry, core, what's our first one? Here we go, core beliefs. Core beliefs. And what we've listed for you there in the core beliefs are 18 different things that you can go after. It turns out that it's the Baptist faith and message. And so uh, you can look at each one of those sections of the Baptist faith and message. This is what we believe as Southern Baptists and here at Hillcrest. And then it gives you scripture references. This is a screenshot right from uh, the Southern Baptist Convention website. You see all the scripture references underneath each one of those sections. You'll see something like that. In addition to using that website and your Bible, uh, there's a book called Um, The Baptist Faith and Message, which will lead you through a study of those 18 areas. That's a great thing you can do with your disciple, okay? Uh, The next thing 
would be the core practices, core practices. And the core practices are really what we call spiritual disciplines. Um, we've had that class running for a while uh, at Hillcrest, and, and uh, Pam, I believe you're teaching that to the women, and Alan Green will be teaching that as a co-ed class beginning this Wednesday. Pam's uh, group meets on Monday nights and Thursday mornings for the ladies. Excellent uh, class. Now, that's, a, that's a, a group environment, but if you want to go through and see how that's modeled and how that works, great class to attend, and then you can use that resource on the spiritual disciplines with your disciple. You can do that one-on-one with somebody to encourage Encourage each other, okay? And then the last thing would be the core values, core values. And uh, we pull these right out of uh, the Bible. Galatians chapter 5, we call them the fruit of the Spirit, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, truth, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's a great thing to track down with your disciple. Another option you can look at is a worldview model. We've already talked about biblical worldview. We have a resource on the website for you uh, in this as well. When we look at a worldview model, you take an idea, uh, a look at a, a specific issue at hand. What is a, per, perhaps a social issue that you're looking at when we come up on elections and we're dealing with voting options? We want to we know what the Bible says about those kinds of things. And so identify the issue at hand, study the Bible in relation to that issue, gather wisdom from other resources, Make a response, talk about it with your discipler, and then develop some strategies for living out that truth, for living biblically. So that's another good option for you to use with your disciple. And then a couple of other things, Christian books. There's plenty of Christian books I would recommend to you that you look uh, for books written by conservative theologians. If you, if you need some help with that, uh, feel free to uh, bounce some ideas off of your staff. Um, now, Christian book does not take the place of the Bible. Uh, the resources that we talk about should always push you back to your Bible, okay? But sometimes if there's a, a resource that's specific to that specific goal that you've set up with your disciple, good option for you to look at that to, to help uh, solidify what the Bible has to say about that issue. And then finally, curriculum. Doug, I just want a step-by-step plan to go through this thing. Well, that's okay. It's best used with a brand new Christian because, you know, in discipleship, one size fits one. Yeah? But when you're a brand new Christian, there are some foundational things that we all need to know. And so sometimes a curriculum is a good way to make sure you're covering all the bases. Okay? And we have two that we've put links to on the website for you. One is to Operation Timothy. A lot of our men are using that uh, to disciple one another. And then uh, a good co-ed option is from Lifeway called Disciples Path, The Journey. Uh, Pastor Eric uses that with a group of, well, he's got a tiny group going and I'm using that, uh, just began to use that with a one-on-one relationship uh, that I'm doing. So listen, you might have noticed that no matter what path you take, that the Bible uh, keeps cropping up, right? So if you remember the stick figure uh, picture that Pastor Jim showed you a couple of weeks ago, We have these different categories of people. And by the way, today, when we're talking about discipling people, we're all on the right side of the cross, right? You evangelize the people on the left side. We disciple those on the right side. But you see those arrows. The best way that through a study, the best way they found for people to move from one category to the next is interaction with the Bible. Interaction with the Bible. So, you want to make sure 
that you are exposing your disciple to the Bible. Okay, getting close. Don't overcomplicate. Don't overcomplicate. Don't overthink. And the reason you don't want to do that is because this process needs to be reproducible. Reproducible. Second Timothy 2 and 2 says, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men or women who will also be qualified to teach others. This is disciples making disciples who make disciples. So you want to keep it simple. You don't want to drop your heaviest theological wisdom on your brand new disciple because that's going to, it may prevent them from carrying that on, okay? Keep it simple. Keep it reproducible. It doesn't mean it has to be easy, but it should be simple. We're not called to make theologians. We're called to make disciples. And so one way that you can do that in addition to your study is just take your disciple with you. When you have a thing to do, take them with you. Let them see how you interact with the world around you. Let them see you at home. Let them see you in some tough times. How do I communicate with my wife when we're not getting along? Disciples need to know that. So it's not just all the great stuff, right? Show them everything. Take your disciple with you. So reproducing is the master plan. And this is how we impact our community, by multiplying the number of people who function with the biblical worldview. So you have a person, you have a goal, you have some resources, you're ready to make disciples who disciple. And in whatever approach that you take, I want you to consider these three spheres of discipleship. The first one is knowledge. Knowledge. And we're pretty good at this part. We're pretty good at this. Even as a church, uh, given knowledge, you know, we, we can... Uh, we can come, we can preach a message. Even in a connect group, we convey information. In a focus group, we convey information. But it's pretty easy to just come, maybe even take some notes, and that's the end of it. There's no action. There's no action. So by itself, knowledge doesn't get it done. But there is some value to it. You do need to take in knowledge. It's a part of the, the equation. The second one is practice. We're getting better at this. We need something to do to exercise this new knowledge. As a connect group leader, you might consider having your apprentice lead the class while you watch. As a disciple, you might guide your disciple to pray out loud, maybe for the first time, or to share their faith with someone else, or to serve in some capacity, or to disciple someone else. When you see required action in the Bible, you should be helping your disciple to take action, to practice what they're learning, and we should be doing that ourselves. That's the practice part, living out what the Bible says for us to do. And then the third circle, and this is the part that's often missing, and that's follow-up. And it's in that intersection of the three circles that discipleship happens. In following up, you just debrief the situation. Find out how that went for your disciple. In fact, following up and generating feedback is one of the best things you can do for your disciple. And not only your disciple, but your kids and your coworker and your employees. And notice I said generate feedback. 
not give feedback. Not everybody is super open to the idea of unsolicited feedback, right? So here's a great tool for you to use, simple to remember, and it's a way for you to uh, generate feedback for the win. So whatever the activity was, the first question that you want to ask your disciple is, what did you do well? What did you do well? That's the W. When When we ask most people how a thing went, they want to jump right to the negative. Well, I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you what I did wrong. No, no, not yet. Let's stay on the positive side. What went well? How'd that go? Let them list several things. Encourage them to list several things. And if you were there and you watched them do it, you throw in a couple of good things that they did. That's going to be encouraging to them. Next, what would you like to improve? That's the I. What would you like to improve? Now, this is their opportunity. Now they can say, what they'd like to do better, right? This is their own list of improvements. This is their list of improvements, right? You're not just rushing in and saying, hey, I'll tell you what. So you teach that class. Let me tell you what you did wrong. It's not super helpful, is it? So let them, let them list a few things. Now, if there's a thing that you want to say that they didn't list, if they've listed it, beautiful. You don't have to say anything, right? Just that's good insight, good insight. But if they didn't list a thing that you think is important for them to hear, hey, would you mind if I shared something that I noticed? And they're going to be way more open at this point in the conversation to what you observed. And then the final question to ask is, what will you do differently next time? That's the end. And this is an action plan for improving their execution of whatever the task might have been. And often in a conversation like this, you'll find a person uh, who is potentially discouraged by that activity Uh, excited to give it another try. So guys, biblical information plus practical application equals life transformation. And life transformation is when we're becoming like Christ, which is the ultimate goal of discipleship. Tons of information, hopefully practical, More teaching than preaching, but imagine what can happen in our community when a church full of people take this great commission to go and make disciples seriously. With a church full of Christians discipling people who in turn go and disciple others, we can change a community. We can change a state. We can change a country. We can change a world. It's the master plan. And it's the master's plan. This is what God has told us to do. And all God's people said, 